Creative Legals, the show that helps you understand the law around property investment. Whether you are a vanilla landlord or doing creative deals. Because what you do not know could cost you. Creative Legals, law for creative deals. Joining us now, your host, Julie Condliffe, the legal diva, successful property investor and specialist property litigation solicitor. Hey, thank you so very much for joining me again today on Creative Legals, a platform where we realise that landlords do matter. Landlords matter. That's why we are committed to helping landlords every step of the way. Today, we continue our series on eviction ban. Evictions during coronavirus eviction ban. We know that the moratorium has now been extended. There's a question that I'm constantly asked, that is, can you evict tenants during the eviction ban? That's an interesting question. And if you've been following me, you'll know that I've already answered that question. The other question that I am also asked constantly is, Julie, what are the common pitfalls in relation to evictions and how do we as landlords or how can we as landlords avoid those? So today I'm going to be going through um, the common pitfalls, how to avoid common costly pitfalls. The eviction ban is bad, really bad. But getting the eviction paperwork wrong is worse. I'll tell you why. Say your tenant is paying £1,500 rental per month, just like John's tenant. Remember John? John, in one of the earlier episodes that we did, John had his tenant, Robert. Remember? Well, I'll let you go through those and 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 recall. But in a nutshell, Robert was paying one thousand five hundred pounds per month, and he was in arrears. So, hypothetically, you serve the three month notice on the tenant who's already in arrears. It expires in December twenty twenty. As I say, you're already in two months worth of arrears to be able to have served that notice in the first instance. So that's £3,000 out of pocket. As is usual in these circumstances, the tenant then decides not to make any additional rental payments. By the time the notice expires, that's an additional three months worth of arrears in addition to the previous arrears, which in this case, we say two months worth of arrears. How much does that equate to? That's a whopping £7,500, is it not? You then issue court proceedings and the hearing is listed to take place in March 2021. That's because of the backlog. By that time, you're in how much were the arrears? £12,000? That's before the hearing date. At the hearing date, guess what? You find out that your notice is invalid. Oh my God. Everything falls apart like a $2 suitcase. Your claim is dismissed. You have to restart the process. You've lost time. You've given your tenant more time to stay at the property without paying rent. You've lost money on court costs. You've lost money on rental income.
income, you're now out of pocket by over £12,000 plus court fees. Now you have to restart the whole process and it's going to take you another six months, perhaps even more, before you get your very first order, your possession order. That takes into account, obviously, three months to serve another notice, then issuing court proceedings and then waiting for the court to do whatever it does. Then think about the monetary side of things. You've got the associated costs. And so you're looking at an additional approximate figure of £10,000. That's an additional £10,000. So the total would be over £23,000, would it not? Inclusive of all the court costs. I'm sure you would agree that that's a significant amount of money to lose. It truly is. So what's my point? My point is getting it right from the outset is crucially important. It will save you time. It will save you money. The law and the processes and procedures around eviction can be complicated. Just one mistake can throw your whole case out. So, My recommendation is use professionals who are very specialised in this area. Professionals such as creativelegals.com. I always say what you do not know could cost you. Now, using professionals such as ourselves would charge you perhaps, you know, just around £100. How much money have you saved then if you get it right from the outset? So that's that in relation to how I feel. Um, If you've been following us for a while, you know what the next uh, part or the next segment of this uh, podcast will be. We then now focus on facts and not feelings. The fact of the matter is, if you do not comply with eviction rules and procedures, you may be guilty of many things to include harassment, trespass, breach of quiet enjoyment, or indeed illegally evicting your tenants. There's quite a lot at stake, and I know you agree with me. So what I'm going to do for you now is quickly go through the eviction process, the common costly pitfalls, and how best to avoid them. The first point is you must have a legitimate reason for the eviction. You can kickstart the process during the eviction ban, but only if it is necessary. Evictions should always be the very last resort. So you need to have clarity as to why you want to evict your tenant. Is it because there's been a default on their part? Or could it be that you want your property back for some other good reason? Is it because perhaps you've fallen out with your tenant? Well, if that's the case, then you need to be mindful of the retaliatory eviction. What is retaliatory eviction? It's revenge eviction. (laughs) It actually truly is. It's designed to protect tenants against unfair eviction where they've raised a legitimate complaint about the condition of the property. 
It came into force on the 1st of October 2015. Previously, it only applied to tenancies created or renewed post the 1st of 2015, but now it applies to all tenancies. The reason why you want to evict a tenant becomes more important. Do you see why? It's also important because different eviction reasons warrant service of different notices. Um, so today we're going to be focusing on Section 21 notices and Section 8 notices. But first, we must consider the pre-action behaviour, pre-action conduct. That's a lot more important now because of the Coronavirus Act and the potential pre-action protocols that are going to come into force in the next few weeks. So it's better for us to be prepared, better for us to always be that step ahead. Um, as we always say, we're faster, we are better and we are smarter. So pre-action conduct, you would have listened to the other podcasts that I would have done. If not, I encourage you to revisit those because they've got a lot more detail about this particular subject matter. The steps that we discuss now are derived from the pre-action protocol for social housing in part, the social housing pre-action protocol provides good practice for landlord. It acts as a good practice guide for landlords. So as soon as you are alerted to an event of default, as soon or rather as soon as you decide you want your property back, you must make early contact with the tenant. If you've got more than one tenant, uh, then you must contact each tenant individually. And you must also keep records of all your communication. If it's in relation to rental arrears, you want to try and reach a payment agreement of some sort as soon as you practicably can. Um, you also want to ensure that you provide your tenant with a rent statement just to give them clarity as to the level of arrears. The rent statement should contain all the details I've told you about before. So that's important. If your tenant meets the DWP criteria, um, then uh, you need to get them to pay the arrears directly to you from the housing benefit that could actually help you. Uh, and you also need to help the tenant with any applications uh, for the housing benefit. Uh, so liaise with uh, DWP um, and whoever else, but get consent to do that first. And check to see if your tenant has got any vulnerability of some sort. So they could have mental issues that would warrant that they need support. They could have some other form of disability. They could be under 18. So just check whether there are any um you know, disability matters that you need to be mindful of, any discrimination matters that you need to be mindful of, any quality matters that you need to be mindful of. And you also want to make sure that 
your tenant is given the relevant support that they need. And you also want to ensure that your tenant understands everything that you're communicating to them. That's important before you take steps to serve a formal eviction notice. And if you're satisfied that you've done all of the above, um, together with all the other uh, matters that I referred to in, in detail in previous podcasts, and if your tenant has chosen to be uncooperative, then I think you've done all that you can. You can now go ahead and serve a formal eviction notice. Now, in serving the the notice, this is the next step. In serving the notice, you need to make sure that you followed the correct legal procedures. Our discussion today is focused, as I said earlier, on assured shorthold tenancies under the Housing Act 1980. So before you serve a formal eviction notice, you need to go back to step one. You need to remember the reason why you were evicting the tenant, because we've got two main kinds of notices. We've got two main routes to regain possession of your property. One is section 21. The other is section eight. So section 21 gives you as a landlord an automatic right of possession without having to give any grounds, any reasons once the fixed term has expired. Section 8 allows you to seek possession under grounds 2, 8, 10, 15 or 17 as listed in Schedule 2 of the Housing Act 1988. These grounds include rental arrears, immigration breaches, antisocial behaviour and various other breaches. Most people think Section 8 notices are just for rental arrears, but they're not. They cover a lot more things, so do keep out for a specific episode on that particular subject. In all cases, you must give your tenant written notice. Now, if you're utilising the Section 21 route, there are certain preconditions that you need to satisfy. So you need to ensure compliance with the following preconditions. The first one is in relation to deposits. Did you take a deposit at tenant's commencement? If you did, then you would have needed to protect it in one of the government-backed tenancy deposit schemes, namely the Deposit Protection Service, My Deposits, Tenancy Deposit Scheme. So those are the three, the Tenancy Deposit Scheme, My Deposits and Deposit Protection Service. The protection must have happened within 38 days of receipt of the deposit and you'd have needed to have provided the tenant with the prescribed information again within that 30-day window. I'll also do another episode on tenancy deposits for you, but for now, suffice to say, this does not apply to holding deposits. It should not apply to your company lets, your management agreements, your rent-to-rent agreements, if you're using the correct agreements. Again, that's another episode coming over to you in that regard. Now, the secondary part of the prerequisites, the preconditions that you need to satisfy before issuing a Section 1 
<laughs> Section 21 notice um, are that the property, um, if it's a HMO, a house in multiple occupation um, requiring a license under Part 2 of the Housing Act 2004, then you ought to have a license unless if you've got like some temporary exemption or uh, an application for a license has been made and is still effective. So um, just be mindful of your HMO licensing. Make sure it is up to date before you serve a Section 21 notice. And then the other one is in relation to improvement notices. If the council has served an improvement notice or an emergency remedial notice in the last six months, you will not be able to serve a section 21 notice. And if the property is in a selective licensing area uh, where part three of the Housing Act applies, unless a temporary exemption applies, an application for a license ought to have been made or, you know, indeed actually must be effective as at the date of the notice. And if you don't have that licensing, um, then your Section 21 notice will be invalid. So don't serve it until um, you've managed to get that um, in order. Then you also have the um, recently enacted Tenant Fees Act of 2019. Um, So if you haven't repaid any unlawful fees or deposits charged, um, then again, thou shall not uh, serve a notice until you've got all of that done. Again, I've written an ebook on your obligations as a landlord in relation to the Tenant Fees Act 2019. If you need a copy of that, let me know and I'll be more than happy to let you have it. But in summary, you're allowed to take only up to five weeks rent as deposit and uh, you're allowed to take limited charges uh, limited charge fees in specific scenarios. Um, so that's that. And then finally, if your tenancy started post 30 September 2015, you cannot evict a tenant unless uh, you've given them a copy of the how to rent guide, unless you've given them an energy performance certificate, unless you've given them a gas safety certificate. So that's about it in terms of the pre uh, conditions that you need to satisfy before issuing a section 21 form. The next point is ensure that you use the correct eviction forms. If you are going down the Section 21 route, you must use Form 6A. Form 6A has been amended to take into account the changes pursuant to the Coronavirus Act 2020. You must give or you ought to have given two months notice if you issued the notice before 26 March 2020. Three months notice if you issue post the 26th of March 2020. So that's form 6A. If it's a section 8, then you must use form 3. The notice that you give if using section 8 varies between two weeks to two months, depending on the ground you are using. But from the 26th of March, there's just a blanket notice period, which is three months. 
So three months will apply to all the grounds under the Section 8 notice. So all the grounds that I discussed before will be covered by the three-month period. So your grounds to 8, 10, 15, 17 under Schedule 2 of the Act. So that's that in terms of using the correct form and the notice periods required. We move on now to timing of service of the notices. You cannot use a Section 21 notice to gain possession of your property during the fixed term. That's strictly speaking because you can in fact serve a Section 21 notice during the fixed term providing the date you state you need possession is not before the end of the fixed term. Yes, so you can serve a Section 21 notice during the fixed term as long as the expiry date stated in that notice is not prior to the expiration date of the fixed term. That's really important. So in relation to Section 8 notices, the good news is you can seek possession at any time under Section 8, but you need to ensure, particularly if you're seeking possession during the fixed term, that you've got an express provision in the tenancy to be able to end a tenancy on the ground for which you are seeking possession. There has to be an express clause in the tenancy to that effect. When it comes to evictions, there's always need for speed. And one of the questions I'm frequently asked is, how can I expedite the process? Um, okay, well, if it's a Section 8, you can use the Possession Claims Online service. Um, I think it's a fantastic service um, if you're seeking possession of the property um, together with any rental arrears. The service allows you to access everything you need online to issue the claim, to view it to and to progress it electronically. So I find that really, really helpful. If you're not already utilizing that service, I would encourage you to do so. If you're utilizing the Section 21 route, then you've got the accelerated procedure, which sometimes works. <laughs> Not all the time, but sometimes it does work. So in theory, where you utilize an accelerated procedure, it is considered to be inexpensive. It's considered to be quite a speedy way of doing things, which is great uh, on paper. And also it means that the court can make its decision on paper. So you wouldn't actually need to attend a hearing, which obviously that would save you time. It would save you money um, and loads of other things. But if the tenant files a defense or, you know, if the tenant just writes to the court um, stating anything at all, regardless of how silly it is, in my experience, most of the times the whole matter then just goes back to normal. It becomes protracted and then you will need to attend court and do things in the usual fashion. But accelerated procedure is one option that is available to you um, to 
issue court proceedings without needing to attend a hearing. Now, after you've served all your notices, you'll still need to get a possession order. So in the next episode, I think I will get into the possession order. How do you get it? I think I must discuss matters such as the court hearing, what to expect, what to say, how do you address a judge. Um, If those matters are of any interest to you, then by all means do let me know. This platform is for you as landlords. My desire is to serve you. So if you've got any particular topics that you'd want me to cover, then please do let me know. If you feel that I would be of added value um, doing a webinar with you for your community um, or if you'd like to be interviewed on the podcast uh, or if you'd want me to appear on your podcast, just do let me know. Like I said, my desire is to be of added value to you. Creative Legals is a dedicated landlord practice where we do things faster, smarter and better. We fight for landlords. We are landlords ourselves. So until next time. Thank you for joining us on Creative Legals. Remember, what you do not know could cost you. Stay up to date. Subscribe to our weekly updates using the links below. Remember, what you do not know could cost you. CreativeLegals.com Faster. Smarter. Better. Better.